Good morning. morning. Youth, good morning. morning. Okay, the teacher in me is going to come out. I know you're not going to like it. Do me a favor. Turn your phones off. Just trying. Just try it off. Just try it. For me, please. In my class. Never mind. How you guys know it's a major distraction, not just for the youth? (laughs) Okay. A couple of you guys agree. mind. Let, let somebody look at what you search. Let somebody look at your social media. If you go on Instagram and you go to the search, all the pictures pop up, that'll tell everybody what you look at. Have your spouse look at it. Okay. <laughs> well, good morning. We're going to have some fun this morning. How about that? All right. All right. Um, first of all, it is always an honor and a privilege to be able to speak uh, especially speaking God's word, um, I don't take it lightly, I take it seriously, and it's one of those things where I always ask, Lord, what do you want to say through me? And I never want to go before him, I never, not, never want to step out and not been covered in prayer or spent time with him. I always ask, Lord, what do you want me to say? And I always say this to myself, Lord, less of me and more of you. And so this morning, <laughs> one of the adults' phones is going off. Anyway, <clears throat> um, we're going to continue in uh, the series of Living by Design. Um, you are designed for holiness, in case you didn't know that. All of you are designed for holiness. And so we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that today, amongst uh, some other things. Um, Last week, Pastor Doug talked about you're designed for a purpose, uh, and if you've not, uh, if you weren't here last week and you want to catch it, we, you can always go online and, and um, watch what Pastor Doug talked about. I don't, I don't know about you, but I love having the, ac- the ability to have access to our worship and to the things that uh, if I missed a Sunday or I wanted to hear that again or let me catch that, like, it's easy to just to go back and listen, and uh, we listen to a lot of the worship stuff um, and so it's just something, if you, if you go to YouTube or you can find it on Facebook, you can find last week's um, uh, message. But um, the other thing that I forgot to mention first service is Pastor Doug talking, I don't know if you caught this, I, I wish he would have demonstrated, but he was talking about popping and locking and dancing, and, and he didn't really demonstrate any of it. He talked about his, his grandkid that got this new toy and he got all excited. So we'll have to see if he's willing to uh, do a little demonstration, but he didn't do that last week. Um, but today we're going to talk about holiness, your design for holiness. Understanding God's will gives us an understanding of his holiness. You know, God is holiness. I want to talk a little bit uh, before we get too far into this about a particular word, and the word is behold. In the Hebrew, to perceive through sight or apprehension, to gaze upon, to observe. You could use an example. It was a pleasure to behold the beauty of the sunset. In the Greek, it means to know, to see, to be, uh, be sure to see. Can I tell you this? You become what you behold. You become what you behold. Or you could say, behold who you want to become. Who you look at, who you focus on is probably who you're going to become. Or what you focus on is probably who you're going to become. I think we all know the answer who we should behold. But the question is, 
How often are we beholding God? You become what you behold, or you behold who you want to become. Have you ever thought what it might be like to see God for the first time? Behold the Lord. What would it be like to see God? What would it be like to gaze upon him? See, the more you study the scripture, the more you begin to understand the holiness of God. The word holy literally means separate or set apart. He's separate. He's set apart from all of us. There's nothing else like him. Do you remember when Moses asked to see God's glory? What God said to him? He says, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. He's so pure, he's so holy, that if we actually saw him, we would die. I don't think we think about that much. I don't, I don't think we think about, man, what would it be like to see God? I, I really stare at him face. We can, get, we can get close, we get glimpses, we can have an eye, but to actually see him. He's so pure and so holy, I don't think we'd live. Every once in a while in the Bible, we read about someone getting a veiled glimpse of God. What he, what he might look like. What, what is he like? What is his presence? What's around him? What's happening around God? The prophet Isaiah got a glimpse. In Isaiah 6, we're going to go through 1 through 7. Isaiah is called to, to be a prophet, and it says in verse 1, in, in, in the year that King Uzziah died, again, this is Isaiah, Isaiah saying this, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, two had covered his face, with two had covered his feet, and two with it flew and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, I just read that to you, and I, and I wonder if I even did it justice. I wonder if it's just something we just read and we kind of, yeah, that's cool, I've heard that before. Maybe this morning it's a little different. Maybe you'll let it sink in. He saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Imagine yourself seeing high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. It filled the whole place. And above it stood seraphim. Think about this. These angelic creatures are there. They can't even look at him. It has six wings, and it takes two when it covers his eyes, and it takes two when it covers his legs, and it takes this other two and it flies. It can't even look at God, and it's there all of the time. And one cried to another, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let that sink in for a minute. 
What that might have been like to be in Isaiah's shoes, to see the Lord high and lifted up. And to see the seraphim covering their eyes. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. And it says, the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. It's shaking, and there's smoke, and the seraphim are covering. This is all happening as they look upon God. They're covering themselves. He's so holy. How often do we pause to think about God that way? What would you do in that moment? What would you do if you were there? I always think it's interesting people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why that happened. No, you won't. No, you won't. You're going to be on your face. You're going to be crying, holy, holy, holy. The things of this world aren't going to matter. You're going to be there worshiping God, and that's what's going to matter. Remember, this is Isaiah, a prophet of God. This is his encounter. This is what he's seen. In verse 5, he said, Woe is me! I am undone because I am not. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my lips have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's saying, Woe is me! I'm undone! In other words, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And guess what? None of us are. Woe is me. It doesn't sound like a strong word, but it is. Let me read you a commentary about woe is me. The cry of the prophet's expression expresses the normal result of man's consciousness of contact with God. Let me say it again. The cry of the prophet expresses the normal result of man's consciousness of contact with God. So Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look up at God. Job repented in dust and ashes. Peter fell down to his his Lord's feet and cried, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Guys, do we get that this morning? Do we get how holy he is, how how worthy he is, that we would fall to our face and say, Lord, I'm not worthy. A man at such a time feels his nothingness in the presence of the eternal. I think we're so prideful. I think we come to God that we're so prideful, like, what's up, man? This is God. This is God we're talking about. This is God we're talking to. A man at such a time feels his nothingness in the presence of the eternal, his guilt in the presence of the all-holy. No man can see God and live. I wonder when we see how perfect he is, how holy he is, how powerful he is, we're probably going to think, I am not worthy to be in his presence. 
How often do you think about his presence and his holiness? What's it going to be like when we stand before him? Even the prophet Isaiah is saying, woe is me. Isaiah is feeling not worthy and perhaps even not worthy of living. When I think of who God is, when I think of his holiness, the more I study it, the more I learn about it, the more it gets into here, not just here, but into here, it humbles me. It humbles me. It humbles me to live differently. And it humbles me to think, man, who do I think I am living my own life? This life is not mine. It's his. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not about you. It's about him. But wait. Verse 6. It said, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. See, I wonder if we weren't in church would we yell and scream? And I, I wonder when we, when we, we really understand that. If, if we understood that, wouldn't we just go, just scream and yell and be super excited? Man, God, look what you've done. But I think sometimes we get like, I don't know, how much, what do I say? I'm in church. Your iniquity has been taken away and your sin has been purged. Yeah. Like, that's something to celebrate, and you should celebrate it every single day. What did Isaiah do to deserve that? What did you do to deserve that? Nothing. It's a gift he freely gives by sending his son to the cross. Your sin has been paid for. I want to tell you a, a story. In a few minutes, we're going to get into some fun stuff. <laughs> but I want to tell you a story. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to, to Francis Chan. I remember when I was in college at APU that every time he came to speak at APU, the, the, the chapel was actually full. <laughs> and I love his stories and his ability to communicate. It's really, it's, it's really good. And he was telling the story. I was listening to something. I don't know how long ago I was listening to it, but he tells this story of when he was 18 years old. And he was a, a youth intern. He grew up in Stockton. Uh, you, should, you should study his life. It's pretty crazy how many people died in his life before the age of, like, 15. His mom, two of his, his, his dad, his stepmom, his other stepmom. It's pretty, pretty crazy. So death was something that was, you know, in his face. But um, he's telling the story of how, to, how he's going to make money and how he's going to live. And, and um, I, I don't know about you guys, if you remember those, the good old days of the Kirby vacuum cleaner. <laughs> For the <laughs> I got one. <laughs> it, for those of you that don't know, back in the day, in the 80s for sure, uh, these guys would come on your tongue to the door and they knock on the door and they try to sell you a vacuum. Right? We don't see that anymore, but they would do this whole demonstration and this whole thing. And the vacuum, he said, in the 80s, 
It was $1,400 is what he was selling the vacuum cleaner for, right? That sounds like a, a lot, and especially in the 80s, I'm sure it was quite, quite a bit. And so this is what he was doing. This is what he was, he was uh, interim youth, or an intern youth pastor at night and Kirby salesman during the day. <laughs> and so he had this partner that he worked with, his buddy named Ted. And so if you don't know um, much about Francis Chan, his heritage is Chinese, his mom, I think it was his grandmother that was, would always send him stuff from Hong Kong. And so uh, Ted had this great idea. He said, hey, let's pretend the next time we go to someone's house that you can't speak English. How about you only speak in Chinese and I'll interpret for you? And Francis on this thing is going, dude, Ted, you're this big giant white guy. You don't speak Chinese. He goes, I know, I'll fake it. So Francis said he trusted him because he was an awesome liar. So he said, so we went to this first house. Says, I put on that jacket that my grandmother sent me from Hong Kong that I would never wear ever other than pretending I'm a salesman and I don't speak English from China. So I put on this jacket. I go in to this thing and we go and he, he goes, look, no rehearsal, no nothing, just cold went for it. Now, I don't know if you had any of those friends when you were growing up. I had a few of those friends. We would just do stupid stuff. Uh, we would just wing it, see what happens. And half the time it didn't work and you got in trouble and... You guys are unlucky, just so you guys know. You guys have phones. So everything you do is going to be captured, and again, people are going to be able to remember it. Um, the stuff that, especially stuff that Pastor Craig did, there's no evidence of any of it. So you, you're, you're, he's luckier than you guys. So I always tell my students, I'm glad I didn't grow up in your generation because there would have been too much evidence. <clears throat> so they go to this first house, and they knock on the door. And Ted, you know, says, hey, I want to sell you this vacuum, whatever. And they sit down, and they say, he says, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, we'll talk to you about this thing. My, my, my friend, uh, Jan Fon doesn't speak any English, and I want you to, uh, we're just going to demonstrate. So Ted starts going through things, and, and Francis Chan is just doing the whole thing in Chinese. And he's, he's saying it, and Ted's interpreting. Ted has no idea what Francis is saying, but he's just rolling with it. And have you ever been in situations where, like, you, you, you two know something, and the other person does it, and you're trying not to laugh? He's saying, look, he goes, it took everything in us to not just bust up laughing. And so they're doing this demonstration with this lady, and the lady says, can you ask him a question for me? <laughs> so he's like, Francis goes, I'm dying. Like, what is my friend Ted going to do now? Like, there's no way. He doesn't speak Chinese. How is he possibly going to do this? So what does Ted do? He makes something up. And they, they lose it. He goes, we just busted up. We're both on the floor laughing, rolling on the ground. We're cracking up. It's just we both absolutely lost it. And the lady has no idea what's going on. So when they get done laughing, she says, what was so funny? And Ted, being the great liar that he says, oh, I just told him a joke. So at the end of their, end of their spiel, Ted says, hey, uh, you know, my friend Jan Fon here is trying to make a living here in the United States. And we'd love for you to be able to buy one of these to help support him. Lady bought one. He goes, I'd like to, say, I'd like to tell you that we stopped there. You know, being the, the, the youth intern that I was. <laughs> we didn't. He says, we kept doing this over and over and over again. Sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes we got caught and we left. He says, we went to this one lady's house. And my buddy Ted told her it was $2,000. 
gave her the spiel about Jan Fon trying to make it. She bought it. He goes, so here we're doing all of this. And that night I was going to the church and I was preaching the word of God to our youth. He goes, I realized I was playing a game with God. I realized I needed to be all in or not at all. And it may not seem like a lot for some of us, but the reality is God's called you and me to be holy. And that's not an example of being holy. He said that he wanted, at that moment, he realized he needed to change the trajectory of his life. Anybody this morning feeling that? Look, I'm going to talk to you about something that's going to be a little heavy this morning. I think we know this, but we have a problem in our culture. We've lost the importance of purity, holiness, and reverence for God. We play games with God. We need to stop playing those games. Guys, we have a sexual sin problem in our society. Now, I blame Pastor Doug this morning because this is the, this, the scripture that he asked me to talk about. <laughs> but we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4 today. Can I say this to you? If we want to understand the holiness of God, we need to spend time with him. See, I, I can tell you a bunch of things not to do. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Now, when I was a kid, to be honest, if you told me not to do something, I probably wanted to end up doing it. But if you gave me the reason behind it, then I have a better understanding of it. Parents, can I tell you this morning, there's a reason why your kids are in here. Give them the reasons why. Because I said so doesn't fly. I know you want it to because you're the parent, because that's what your parents did. Can I tell you things have changed? I've been in edu education for tw over 26 years. Kids now want to know the reason why more than ever. When I first started coaching, it was the classic, you say jump and they, and they say how high. Now I say jump and they say why. What is that going to do for me? <laughs> That's just the way it is. It's, it's changed. Our kids have changed in that sense. They want to know why. Why wouldn't you give them the why? Unless you don't know. Maybe we need to do, as parents, a little more research, a little more studying, a little more diving into some of the things of today's culture and the things that the Bible says. See, my, my hope today is that by somewhat understanding the holiness of God, by understanding when we're in his presence and who he is, that it would cause us to go, I don't want to be over here in this sexual sin because I know who God is. His holiness is so amazing. It's so overwhelming that I can't go there anymore. Do you know when you sin sexually, a lot of times we think nobody knows? The reality is God does. God sees all of it. We like to keep it in, we like to keep it in the dark. The more we keep it in the dark, I think the darker it gets. In 1 Thessalonians... The first couple uh, verses 
talk about that they're kind of revisiting and, and writing them about the, Thess- the Thessalonians about what they've been doing. And it says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Live in a way that pleases God. That's what you and I are supposed to do. Look, none of us are perfect. We know that. But we're supposed to live in a way that pleases God. That should be the goal of every single Christian. To live in a way to please God. That should be the objective of our Christianity. Can I ask you something? Have you ever asked a question, I want to know the will of God in my life? Anybody asked that question before? I'm not, I'm not talking about like, should I move to Arizona or should I, should I go buy this car or should I take this job? I believe you can ask God for some of those things. Can I, ask, can I say something? This is, I didn't say this first service. When I, talk, when I talk about moving out of state or moving other places, can I, can I say something to you? Can you ask God what church you're supposed to be at? Can you ask God where you're supposed to serve? Because sometimes we think, oh, if I get out of state, all right, California's this, it's so bad, and I understand all of that. But I think sometimes we forget to ask God, where am I supposed to be? Am I supposed to be here at New Life serving here? A lot of times we don't, we, don't, we don't think that a church should be the focal point of our lives. It shouldn't be what guides us or directs us or keeps us in a community. I think it should. I think if you look at biblical times, most of the things were centered around the temple. The culture was, was the influence, was the temple. But yet we kind of push church aside and go, oh, well, I may just go somewhere else. It's better for me. Is that where God wants you to be? Do you want to know God's will for your life? You ready? Here it is. Verse 3. God's will is for you to be holy. So to stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control your own body and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. This is talking about for you, the Christian, you, the believer, not the pagans, not the Gentiles who don't know Jesus. Of course, they're going to live differently because they don't know him. I'm talking about the believers who believe in Jesus Christ. If you said Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, his will for your life is for you to be holy. His will for your life is to stay away from sexual sin. That's what he wants from you. Sexual sin gets you further and further away from him. It drives a wedge between you and him and amongst other things. I know it's not fun. But it's the truth. We have to to speak the truth up here. You know, one of the, the tricky parts for me is So I used to worry about what are you going to think about me. (laughs) I can honestly tell you I don't worry about that anymore. If you knew my past, you know that's that's a big shift in my life. I worry about what God's going to think of me. I worry about what God is going to think if I don't say the truth. If I don't be honest. If I don't give you the facts. I'm more worried about that than I worry about what you think. 
That's not to be mean. It's just the reality and knowing the holiness of God, it changes you. You can't live the same when you start to understand who he is. I'm not saying this to, if you feel beat up or right now or just saying this is heavy. Look, God loves you. He wants you to change. He wants you to be holy. He wants you in community with him, with us. Verse 6. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in the manner by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges. That's pretty heavy, guys. The Lord avenges all such sin. As we have solemnly warned you before, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I love it, Paul says, and this makes me feel good because it takes all the pressure off of me and puts it all on you. <laughs> he, he says, you know, he's talking about disobeying human teaching. But he says, if you don't do what I tell you to do, if you don't do what I tell you to do, that's fine. But you're offending God. It's not what I'm, it's not what I'm saying. It's what the word of God is saying. And God is saying by uh, not disobeying human teaching, but it's, it is rejecting God. So Paul says, it's not about what I say. It's about what God says. If you choose not to do that, you're disobeying God. I know that's heavy. Remember when you guys said you wanted to live in God's will or you've asked that question? That's one of the wills he has for your life. The rest of the, 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 the chapter four is about sexual sin. It's one of the wills. In chapter five, I'm not gonna go into it today, but some of the other wills for your life is be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. That's the, that's, the, that's the will of God for your life. Avoid sexual sin, be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Let me ask you this. How willing are you to follow what God says, even when it's not convenient or comfortable? See, my flesh goes, ah, I don't know. But the holiness of God changes me. The holiness of God causes me to think differently. It causes me to put the things of this world aside and go, those are not good for me. And I'm not up here telling you I'm perfect at this. I'm not. But I work at it. Sometimes we have to discern what God's will is. This is not one of those situations. It tells you specifically in Scripture what his will is for your life. So in verse 1 and 2, it gives you instructions and that we should live in a way pleasing to God. In verse 3, it talks about his will. In verse 4, it talks about to live in holiness and honor. In verse 5, it talked about not, living, not having lustful passions. In verse 6, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in the matters of violating his wife. The part I underlined in that part was the Lord avenges all such sin. I know we like to say that like, there's no levels of sin which I agree with, but the Lord doesn't always say he avenges things. He avenges this type of sin. Like there is a healthy fear of God, guys. 
I think we're prideful, I think we're arrogant, or whatever word you want to use, that we don't actually fully believe this. Sexual sin or sexual immorality has tremendous consequences and ripple effects. I could give you a million different scenarios, but just think about abortion for one second. In 2020, the statistics said that it was close to a million lives that had been aborted. How many of those abortions would have happened if, it was all, if, if sexual intercourse was all done in the context of marriage? I don't know what the number is. I promise you it would have been a fraction of what it is. If, if sexual relations happens in the context of marriage, abortion is not the issue that it is today. It's just not. Remember, you become what you behold. Behold who you want to become. What do you look at? What do you gaze upon? I joke around with the youth like I, don't want to, I wouldn't want to have been in that generation. I wouldn't have, to be honest. The things that you guys have access to, and you all know what I'm talking about. There's no high school kid or junior high kid that doesn't know about the stuff that they can find on the internet. I promise you that. Even if they don't have a phone, they know. Why? Because they talk about it in school all the time. The worst trouble I could get into was when my friend down the street found a magazine under his dad's bed. Come on. So all of us guys on the street got curious. Parents, talk to your kids. I don't, I don't know how to. Then come talk to Pastor Craig or myself. Talk to Pastor Christian. You've got to talk to your kids about this stuff. At what age is appropriate? Look, that's a, that's a conversation to have. I get it. And Christian and I have talked about at some point having a class that we could do for parents and talking about all this stuff. But parents, you have to have the conversation. I promise you they know more than you think they know. You guys are over there giggling. I can see it. (laughs) Why do I know? Because I'm around high school kids all day. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6. You become what you behold and behold who you want to become. Verse 18 says, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other, sin, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Sexual sin defrauds your body and someone else's body, but also dishonors God. Well, let's talk about what is sexual sin. The, the, word, the Greek word uh, pornea, right? The Greek word for sexual sin is pornea. This is where we get the term pornography. So pornography in and of itself is sin. I, I know like a lot of us want to say, well, what's the, what's the boundary? I'm telling you today, pornography is a sin, Think about the root word pornea, where it comes from. And we call it pornography. Pornea is sexual sin. Pornography, sexual sin. 
Here's some statistics for you. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in the congregation. 69% say porn has advertly impacted the church. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. Only 13 of self-identified Christian women say they've never watched porn. 87% of Christian women have watched porn. 56% of Americans of American divorces involve one party having uh, an, an obsessive in, uh, interest in pornography websites. 56% divorce. 70% of Christian youth pastors report they have had at least one teen come to them helping them deal with, the, with pornography in the last 12 months. And 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search porn. Do you know that if you take the NFL, the Major League Baseball, and the NBA, and you add up all their revenue, it doesn't come out to as much as the revenue for pornography? The revenue that's generated for pornography is bigger than the three major sports in our country. ABC, NBC, ABC, NBC, whatever, you know what I mean. CBS, that's what I'm missing. <laughs> so those three big ones, the amount of revenue they generate is not as much as the pornography industry. Guys, we have a problem. And the problem, according to the statistics, is not just outside there. It's inside here. We have to talk about it. Look, if someone brings it up to you, don't guilt and shame them. Walk alongside them and say, how can I help you? How do we do this together? How do we walk? Well, there's a couple different things you can do, but find somebody that you think you can trust. Go, do I need help? If you tell your spouse you're struggling spouses, don't crucify them because they're not coming to you again if you crucify them. Have an honest conversation. Parents, if your kids come to you and say, I'm struggling with pornography, don't flip out on them. Love on them. I'm so glad you told me. I'm so glad you brought this to my attention. I'd love to walk this out with you. How can, what can I do to help you? Hey, let's go see Pastor Craig or let's go talk to a counselor. Find someone you can be accountable to. I believe that accountability doesn't work if we don't understand the holiness of God. Covenant eyes. You can look it up. It's one of those things where if I make Pastor Christian my accountability partner, I look at a website that's not appropriate, it'll send him an email and let him know. You should put on every one of your devices. Well, I got my laptop and my home computer, but not my phone. Why not? Secret sin is killing us. It's not a secret to him. All right, here we go. The Greek word pornea originally meant to prostitute or to sell. But in the New Testament, here's a handful of things. Prostitution, extramarital sexual intercourse or adultery, pedophilia, promiscuity, homosexuality, lesbianism, incest, premarital sex, bestiality, just to name a few. To really understand sexual sin, we have to understand what God defines as sexual purity. 
So let's go the opposite way of this. We know what the sexual sin is, but what does actual purity look like? Let me make it to you real simple, real clear. Faithfulness in marriage and abstinence in singleness, and that includes with your eyes. Faithful in marriage, abstinence in singleness. For believers, that's, that's anything outside, uh, and, and for believers, anything outside of that is sexual sin. Anything outside of marriage is sexual sin. It's real simple. We, we, try to, we try to complicate it. Well, what about this or what about that? Well, if I hold hands, that's a separate conversation. Well, my dad doesn't want me to date. There's a reason why your dad doesn't want you to date. You should probably listen to your parents. Just saying. Anything outside of marriage is sexual sin. Guys, we need to stop playing games. We need to stop selling the vacuum and then preaching. <laughs> we need to stop playing games. You, be, you become who you behold. Behold who you want to become. I believe sexual sin is one of the most major, uh, major issues in the body of Christ, and it keeps us from holiness. We are called to be holy. Here's a few scriptures. First Peter, but as he who called, uh, called you is holy, you, are, you also be holy in all your conduct. Some of your conduct? All of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God is calling you to be holy. You should be holy for me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Second Corinthians, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So, are you willing to do what it takes to please God? Stop playing games. I was wondering this, like, when I sin at that moment, I wonder if I love myself more than I love God. I ask myself that, that question, like, man, when I make a mistake or when I mess up, is, am I loving myself more than I love God at that moment? Remember, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 said, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure ones. If I could have the worship team come up. I know we talked about some, some tough stuff this morning. It's not talked about much. We allude to it here. I know we're getting more and more comfortable talking about it. I, I, know, I know the guilt and shame that can come from saying, I, I'm addicted to pornography. But if we, if we don't have the conversation, if we're not allowed to say it, what's going to change? Find somebody that you trust. Find somebody that you can talk to. Because what stays in the dark is only going to build. And so this morning, we're going to take communion in just a minute. And so let me tell you how this, the rest of the morning will go. <clears throat> I'm going to have you take communion on your own because all of us are in different spots. Some of us, like, I got a lot to tell you, God. <laughs> 
It's almost like, oh, I'm good. I've worked through this already. But maybe there's other areas in your life. Because when we take communion, we're, we're, taking, we're taking communion in remembrance of him, of what he did on the cross, that he died for our sins, that his body was beaten and he shed his blood for us for the forgiveness of sin. It's the greatest gift that we ever could receive. But it says to check your heart. It says before you take the elements, before you take the sacraments, to search your heart and confess those things. The good thing is when you confess those things to him, guess what? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. But I know when after you give the prayer, because I've been there, you say the prayer, God, forgive me for this, and you walk out the doors, and then something smacks you right in the face. All of a sudden, you're on your social media account, and something pops up, and now you're down a rabbit trail that you didn't want to be down. When you go into communion, before you take the elements, will you think about Isaiah 6? We think about the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the temple, the seraphim covering their, the wings, covering their face, covering their legs, uh, covering their, the, 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 and flying with the others. Would you, would you picture them saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the posts and the doors were shaken, and by the voice of him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Before you get into the community, will you put yourself in Isaiah's shoes and think about what it's like to be in the presence. And as you're doing that, talk to the Lord. So we're going to give it a little bit of time. You can take the, the elements at your own pace. Pray. Seek your heart. Ask for forgiveness. And they're just going to play lightly, and then we'll go into a, a song at the end together. So just take the next few minutes and just seek the Lord.